Alright, so we're hot. We're counting down. Zero, two, three. No, wait, four, no, you're not. Five. No, hold up, hold up. We needed to have a little little powwow. We're well, doing. We can do the powwow hot and we just edit it out. Yeah, but Caleb and I had an idea. I'm gonna, you're gonna be quiet for the intro. Okay. And I'm gonna start the podcast because we're gonna interview you today. You're gonna be our guest. Okay. We're taking this shit over. <laughs> Isn't that what we decided, All Caleb? Right, then, then, yep. then roll Are the you music. designing a t-shirt or what? I'm writing out some notes. Oh. Then roll the music. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, st- you're still going to be the music, bitch. <laughs> Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Spinistry Podcast. Do not attempt to adjust your television. It's not a Spinistry Podcast. I'm sorry. Shiftless. God, did. just I walk in here and fuck already. it all up. All right, let's do it again. <laughs> Can we fix that in post? <laughs> well, I'm, glad, I'm glad that was in your notes. Okay. Uh, welcome to Shiftless. <laughs> welcome to Shiftless. Do not attempt to adjust your television. <laughs> Or your radio, oh. or the rabbit ears on your roof. I'm not Kevin Lee. <laughs> Nor am I. No, you are the man whose Bernays sauce is only second in richness and flavor to his angelic voice, Chef Brad Green. <laughs> Whatever. And I'm joined by the esteemed DJ Caleb. And we are interviewing Mr. Kevin Lee today. Because we want to get inside that little crazy brain and figure out what makes him tick. Yeah, I have a lot of questions. And we even had uh, we had some friends submit some questions. Yeah. So... We're going to find out what goes in, what the ins and outs are of creating an event, executing an event, and kind of what all Kevin goes through that you guys don't even understand, that you're so lucky to have someone that throws together events. I say throws together, that's not even accurate, but puts together events that you can just show up, ride, get in your car, and ride off. So anyways, let's get into it, shall we? What's up, Kevin? <laughs> you said I was supposed to stay quiet. No, not the entire podcast, asshat. <laughs> um, this is weird. This is no. Really we're weird. gonna make it easy. We're, we're gonna, gonna make it easy. We're gonna so, make it okay. weirder. And there's been bits. Oh, so over the episodes that I've listened to, you've alluded multiple times just to different aspects. What are we doing? What the? It's all good. It's all good. Okay. Bunch of amateurs. I want to put together some of the bits and pieces that I've kind of noticed through other podcasts and put it all together into a story. And like Brad said, there's so much that goes on to putting on races. And, and it, I don't, it's not just the execution of the race. Like, I want to know how it got started. I want to know what has changed over the years that used to be easy and maybe now it's hard or something that used to be more difficult, but you've got it figured out. Um, it's just the other aspect. We talk about the events that we go to and how much fun we have. Right. But we don't ever talk about the behind the scenes of what it actually takes to make that happen. That's true. Um, I mean, we've done everything from we've done races to where Kevin has made agreements to ride through someone's cattle ranch that's private property. Yep. How does that happen? How do you just drive up someone's ranch road that's an, a mile long and go knock on his door? Anyway, don't answer that now. That's, that's, a, good, that's a, good, a It's a great place to start, though. Is it? But I want to know how you got here from Florida and how you, because I know you, you are, you've been around riding good with Brad. Grief. You're going deep. Well, no, I, I want to connect it to how, because I know you, I know you rode single track forever, single speed guy with Brad and all those dudes from 150 years ago. How did you get 
from that to putting on races to then specifically focusing kind of more on the gravel instead of mountain bike where you kind of got started. Okay. There's, there's going to be a key theme. There's going to be a key word that goes all through this uh, pivot and not the bicycle brand. Pivot is a story of my life uh, professionally, very definitely. Great pivot guy. I'm trying to try to keep this under 90 seconds just to give the very basic framework. Generic corporate guy, fortune 50 companies and uh, got fat and decided I needed to start riding a bicycle to get fit. And that was 2003 ish, somewhere around there. And that was here in DFW. Uh, I had relocated to a corporate headquarters here from Florida. So that's how I got okay. from Florida. But we came here because I had lived here as, uh, in my ute. The utes. Uh, so I was familiar with the area and I, I, I felt we would be comfortable as a family here. So that's how we got to North Texas from Florida. Did the corporate thing and um, the 2007, 2008 recession got caught up in that and riffed out. Spent a couple of years trying, well, spent a year trying to get back to my same income level, my same profession, because I got laid off at the real front end of that. Didn't realize we were in the recession yet. So I spent a year trying to get back to my level, and it, it just wasn't possible. And in the meantime, I'm seeing all my friends around me that are riding bikes that are in mid-level management like I was. They're all falling to the wayside, getting riffed out and leave, mm-hmm. you know, leaving their corporate gigs. And then somewhere along the way, it's like, well, I guess after like 18 months or so, it's like, well, I, I, I got to do something, and I got to get some benefits for the family, if nothing else. So I took a, uh, another corporate gig at half pay, but with decent benefits. And it's like, well, we'll do this for a while and get by. And uh, in, in the process of that, it's like I needed a side hustle of some sort. So I was going to create this fantastic uh, social media environment, which in social media wasn't really a thing quite yet. Facebook was out there. MySpace was out there, but they, you know, they weren't the behemoths yet. And it's like, I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to build this um, this internet hub for cyclists um, along the lines of forums. But hey, we're going to use our real names. We're not going to hide behind handles and stuff like that. And that was the original origin of Spinistry and where we came up with the name and so forth. And that was like 2009. And uh, I was working with a close friend of mine from way back. She's she was my web creator, my web designer. You know, she was jumped through hoops, doing a lot of creative stuff. And we found out. Fairly early in the process, you know, basically the feedback we kept getting is, well, why would I do that? Why don't I just do it on Facebook? Yeah. And that was, it was, that was that, that's when Facebook shifted Mm -hmm. to the social platform it really was. And, uh, you know, we realized fairly quickly, it's like, yeah, we, there's no way we're going to beat a Facebook or anything like that. So I had to pay my web designer and I'd had some experience with some friends putting on Dorba mountain bike races. So you had already done one by that, or participated or helped or been involved at some point? uh, at the volunteer level yeah. for you know for the registration and permits and paperwork and so forth for doorbe events uh help coordinate a lot of the the uh electronic stuff and social media stuff then the forum stuff and you know we put on some pretty good shows and it's like you know we could go out and like and this was like 2008 you know, when I was in between my phase. Is that when the Dirt Dog time trials went down? Uh, Dirt Dog time trials were before that. Okay. And that was that was Chris that did those. I yeah. didn't I didn't do the Dirt Dog time trials. Yeah. And but we we had done in Dirt Dogs we'd done some like we did uh, 
Todd, when he passed away, we uh-huh. we did what was kind of the first. It wasn't really Sansom '66, but the first event at Sansom uh-huh. as a fundraiser for him. The guy that uh, broke his neck out at River Legacy, mm-hmm. we we did uh, some fundraiser stuff for for his family. Uh, so you know, we'd had some experience with coordinating things. I guess is the best way to put it. And when we did the Dorber races, we got lots of accolades. And when I say we, I mean, I was the small piece of that. I mean, that was, Ben was the driving force on on that. No sense. Wasn't it you, Thornton, Mike Smith, Solo, Solo. Foster, Oh, yeah, Foster, that's right. Oh, Luke, I forgot. We had a a fantastic crew. And there were others. I'm sure I'm leaving some people out, but I think that was kind of the core. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we did a pretty good job with it and i threw the subject out there hey maybe we should do this as a side gig ben was like fuck that (laughs) typical (laughs) and at the time this as a side gig was mountain bike races mountain bike mountain bike races gravel was a twinkle in your eye you didn't know it was coming uh, no no clue okay no clue whatsoever now i think ben had by that time he had probably done his first DK? No, not yet. He did it. Uh, I want to say it was like 2010 was his first. Was year. that his first? I thought. I thought. I'm not sure. I thought eight or nine was his first, but maybe not. You're, maybe you're, not. You could be right. You're probably right. All I yeah. I so, tend to be wrong. So, uh, I was riding gravel roads during all this because I was focused on an endurance cycling myself, endurance mountain bike racing. Right. So, uh, I started out. You know, we've talked about it before. To build endurance, you got to get lots of miles and lots of hours in the saddle. Started out road riding um, to support my mountain bike addiction. And people were getting creamed left and right in 2005, 2006, around here. It was bad. So I started driving further out on my Thai Colnago road bike and kept running into these damn dirt roads that kept getting in my way. <laughs> and, you know, it's like... I threw together a mullet cross bike and uh, just, well, one of these days I'm just going to go down this road and see where it goes. Because this, again, this was before the, all the internet mapping and aerials and there were no tools to see what was out there. You could just look at traditional maps and is this a dirt road? I don't know. So I started one day, I took this mullet cross bike I put together, Franken bike and went down a dirt road. And it was like, this is amazing. This is, this is almost like mountain biking. And my big issue with mountain biking around here is I'm one of those, I like epic trails. I like South Boundary Trail. I like Monarch Crest Trail. I like trails that go on forever. Love North Shore. You know, Brad and I talk about this all the time. I get it. If North Shore's your home trail, I, I get it. But for me, going around it for the 2000th time, it it, does, it becomes a treadmill. It doesn't like it's my, like the it, same thing over. It doesn't it. like my fire. It's not a bad thing. I still like to do it, but it doesn't. Yeah. Motivate me, for lack of a better term. So the riding these dirt roads and basically doing ramble stuff from trail to trail, to trail is kind of where I got started, and uh, where we going back to where I needed to pay my web designer, who is a very good friend. I wasn't, you know, it's like, I'm going to take care of Andrea. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So it's like, well, I've got this experience putting on events. I'm pretty sure we can put on a fairly cool mountain bike, endurance mountain bike event out of Bar H, but to make it closer to an epic trail. I know all these dirt roads around there as well. So we'll do a lap at Bar H, we'll go out on some dirt roads, we'll do another lap at Bar H, go out on, kind of do a figure eight out of there, but use Bar H as the hub 
was the idea. And, uh, but it was very mountain bike centric and just using quite frankly, the roughest dirt roads I could find with the biggest Hills to try to approximate in, uh, Epic mountain bike trails mm-hmm. much as I possibly could. And at that time you were probably putting that together. You were still, the assumption was people were going to show up on their mountain bike. People were not coming to these oh, yeah. events oh, on a gravel bike. Gravel yeah. bikes weren't even a thing. There was right. no such thing as a gravel bike. Uh, it was, I mean, our crowd was very mountain bike centric. A hundred percent. Yeah. Was there any pushback from people? Or I guess they had to know going into it that they were going to get single track and. Oh yeah. And was there, was there, was there pushback? Was there people not interested where people all of a sudden go, Oh, this sounds really cool. I'm, I'm looking for that, that. You know, what bridged that gap between the two? People, well, people were interested because nobody was putting on anything like that. Yeah. Back then. Okay. Well, okay. We're, we're back to our pivot word and not Brad's definition of pivot. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here's what, so pivot. pivot. <laughs> so at the start of this, and this was our first red river riot, which was actually January of 2010. Yeah. Uh, at the start, basically weather like we've had this week, but with a torrential downpour right at the start line where water's literally cascading down the trail and washing out the trail while we're watching. I said, all right, we're just going to, we're, we're going to start on the dirt road segment. We're not going to, we're not going to, you know, we had the permission from the landowners to use a muddy trail. We could have done it. Hey, um, we're podcasting, dumbass. <laughs> For many reasons, I, I opted out of the single track at that time. And this was right at the beginning. So it's like, is this going to be five minutes of rain or is this going to be, and, or is this going to be three hours? I don't remember it pouring, but I do remember steady rain. You know, it, it poured. Yeah. It poured. Now, it might have been right after the start. It started pouring there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it poured. Yeah. And, and maybe that's what it was. Maybe at the start line, it was kind of steady-ish. And it's like, well, let's see if this blows over going out there and yeah. see, if, see, you know, see if it settles out sort of thing. So that was the idea. So that was our first pivot. I have a really good story about this race, by the way. The first cloverleaf, the leaders come back. And I guess that's what it was. Y'all went out, and then it poured there while y'all yeah. were out. I think that's what happened. I think happened. that's what happened. The leaders came in, and I, and I nixed it. It's like, just, just go out and do the other uh, gravel se- segment and at this point people are starting to get covered in mud mm-hmm. as they're coming in and it's like oh my god these people are going to hate me at the end of this they loved it <laughs> that was ultimately the yeah. end result and of you were it. surprised looking back on it no but at the time at the time yes at the yeah. time it's like oh my god I'm because gonna- you were expecting people to want their money back and all kinds I, of not, shit. No, not to that level. It well, was just, uh, we. I, I was just concerned we were giving them a bad experience. Yeah, and the first question was, "When are we doing this again?" Yeah, yeah. they didn't know they loved it until they did. They yeah, had no expectations of it was total type two fun. Yeah, they their discovery of loving it was the same as his discovery of them loving it. Yeah, yeah. Wow, you're so yeah. deep. Caleb. So I so know, quick story. Like uh, I'm standing there bef- before this race goes on, and we had our riders meeting. I'm trying to. St- to shuffle all my stuff together for the writers meeting. And I have these cheap performance, like triple lens frames. And so I'm taking out my uh, sunglass lenses and putting in my clear lenses to ride. And he keeps going, Hey, writers meeting, writers meeting. So I'm like shuffling to get ready. Well, I put on my glasses and we go through the riders racers meeting. I'm sorry. And uh, then we go out to ride. I'm riding with Thornton, and on the downhills, he's leaning off the side of his bike to keep 
mud from flinging in his face and everything. We weren't riding fenders or anything, you yeah. know. And uh, I go, dude, how do you keep from getting mud in your eyes? And then goes, just lean off the side like I am. So I started trying that, and I was still getting mud slung all in my face and in my eyes. And I go, man, I don't know what is going on. And he goes, well, you got glasses on. He goes, you even have lenses in those glasses? I said, well, of course I do. And I went like, <laughs> I went to poke myself with both fingers and my lenses and jab myself in the eyes. <laughs> he cackled for about five miles. <laughs> He's and still cackling. <laughs> what, what's even better is I, I said, well, fuck, these glasses aren't doing anything anyways. I took them off and went to put them in my jersey pocket. Thought they went in my jersey pocket. They didn't. Oh, So man. I got back to the to the um, bar H, and I went to get them out of my pocket, and I was like, yeah, uh. screw those glasses anyways. <laughs> they was, didn't work. <laughs> I was so mad. I felt so stupid. But that what happened on that particular race so people are crossing the finish line they're coming in and saying when's the next one and you the light bulb goes off what's what's your plan kind of going back to an, another question you'd asked earlier was was this was this mountain bike centric or, or what or was mountain bikes only or what were people wondering which bike to bring i would say 90 85 to 90 percent of the riders were on mountain bikes it's like cross country but we had a few that were on cyclocross bikes mm -hmm. we had a few people show up that they did mountain bike racing so they were familiar familiar with us from, from the mountain bike side but they also did a little bit of cyclocross and road racing as well and i can't was folly on a cross bike or was he on a mountain bike that, uh, that day? folly and brandish were both on mountain bikes i believe i can't remember for sure i can't remember for certain but Brian Foley and Tom Brandish were one and two. The Their comments were along the lines of, this is pretty cool, but you might want to look at putting together something that's just using the dirt roads. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that uh, the, the road racing community might be more interested in that have cyclocross bikes. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, sure, we can do that. That's not that. That's not a problem, and that's when we kind of right there on the spot just roughed out our first Texas Chain Ring massacre. And was that because he knew that that niche would be more attractive to that side of the he riding? Knew that, or, 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 he knew, well, he knew that that group A didn't have mountain bikes and had no interest in single track. So the single track was preventing a large group from coming out because they wanted to do it, but they didn't have a bike for it, but they could go out and ride these dirt roads. Basically. And he, okay. and he, and we both looked at it the same way. And I'm actually kind of look at it the same way now, to be honest with you is it's a great way to get transition. Some of these road centric people towards yep. mountain biking was yep. kind of the, Hey, if we, if we can get them started with training wheels on dirt roads, maybe they'll start racing single track as well. Right. That was kind yeah, of the sense. thought process behind it. So we, over a keg of Scott Decadent, kind of roughed out our first Texas Chain Ring Massacre. Red River Riot was January 23rd. It was one, two, three. I, I knew that. And it just happened that year that March, a Saturday in March, which was in the time frame we could throw together uh, a more roadie oriented event. Um, was March twenty first, three, two, one. I've, so you, yeah. you guys know how I am on shit like that. It just it's like I, I latched on. I got to do that. Yeah, right. One, two, three, and three, two, one. I'm all over it. So you 
you figure out what you want to do next. Now, back then, you didn't have the luxury of all these great planning tools, uh, or the e- exploration tools, the, the relationships. You decide, right. I'm going to have this race. Did you know? Because you talk about this is where I'm going to have the Red River Riot or the Chain Ring Massacre. But you knew that because. Like, what? what why I, that area? Why, you know, because, because why didn't you go to be, Paris or Gainesville? Or? Going back to building my own endurance, I had already learned that okay. network of roads myself yeah, right. from my own experience. So these are roads that you had you were you and put I, it there because you had ridden and you knew that I wanted to showcase them to other people. Yeah, I wanted to get hey, okay. this these roads are really cool, and that was that was my whole my inspiration wasn't to put on events per se. It's like riding these roads is cool. It's yeah. a lot of fun, yeah. but I knew it was outside the comfort zone of most mountain bike riders but i also knew it was outside the comfort zone of most road riders yeah and that's i mean that's the venn diagram i've just operated in in my entire life i was always the jock that hung out with the computer nerds that also was part of the theater group sort of thing yeah i was i was always I was never the super jock guy. I was never the super computer nerd guy. As much as I wished I was, I was never the fantastic theater performer sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. But we always ended up throwing really cool parties because all these people got together. Yeah. Yeah. The, the different the different types of people, and that's really cool. That's it's it's funny because that's how gravel is. You line up to the the starting line, and you're going to see. I don't know, five, six different types of riders, yeah. uniquely different. Their, their goals are different. Their style is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and they never would have been on the same, towing the same line sure. without that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Luna. Um, okay. So you got the idea for this race. You're still working full time at your other job. This, so, w- yeah, this, yeah, this was when I was working at that half pay job. Okay. So you go out and then let's start with kind of the, I'm sure you don't. <laughs> I'm sure you don't plan events now like you did those first couple events. So let's talk about how, what you did then, what you learned that worked and didn't work, uh, without giving away your trade secrets. There, I mean, there's really no trade secrets to it. Every event is different. Everybody has different focal points. Well, uh, let's, let's read the one AMA email we have, oh, okay. because before we get too far into that, because you're kind of addressing that, and I want to make sure we give uh, this some light. Can we? Oh, no. Yeah, 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 for sure. So should I read it in my South African voice? I was going to suggest you could do that, mm-hmm. but you may be you may offend him because it's going to be so bad. Did we get the recipe for the pie yet? No. Son of Garrett. a Garrett. Actually, yeah, he did send me one, and it's rough. It's in, but it's in Afrikaans. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. So I sent it through Google. <laughs> Translate. <laughs> Translate and then send it back to him. So we're, we're working out the details. I've been swamped. That is so amazing no, that he good. sent it in Africans. Okay, so yeah, just 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 read, okay. it, read it in uh, in read, uh, Brad Cajun. Read, okay, read this Diggid's email. Diggid. So uh, this is from my boy Garrett Brink. Um, great guy. It says, "Hey there, Garrett here. My main question for for Kevin would be why gravel." How did you fall on spinistry being gravel focused? And a follow-up question is why does nobody else do any ultra endurance mountain bike events in the DFW area? Like the longer, this is the longest sentence ever, like the longer distance spinistry MTB events, which we all love. Finally, a period. Uh, No, it's a comma. Well, at least the ones. There's more. (laughs) Well, at least the ones 
of us that love to suffer on the bike that aren't just six or 12 hours of a short loop. There's a period. Looking at 60 to 100 mile mountain bike events that are spread out a little like the turkey burn, etc. So he's talking about like that was the inspiration at that point when, yeah, when it, the, it, for the original event. It most definitely was. And yeah. the endurance mountain bike stuff has traditionally over the years always been an additional part of the spinistry repertoire yeah. for, for lack of a better term. Unfortunately, uh, the past several years, endurance mountain bike cycling is just the popularity has waned. It would be an extreme understatement. So it's very difficult to put on those types of events. Yeah. And there's just costs involved that, that take the overhead to a certain level to make those viable. Costs cost involved in which aspect, and, and what do you mean? I mean, insurance. Yeah. Uh, venues. So you have prizes. some venues that, that, oh, you mean like like pavilions and stuff like that where you have to pay a rental fee? Or you mean like courses no, that you have to pay? Well, uh, okay. A good, a, a good example is, well, A, who wants to go around Arbor Hills 300 times? Nobody no, that I've ever met. That, no, nobody wants to do that. Yeah. So you have to have a long enough trail to mm -hmm. work with to make it viable mm -hmm. to begin with. What we used to be able to f do with trails in this area just no longer is, is available on the public trails. Yeah, uh, There's just too many people using those trails now. or Which is uh, a good thing. Which is a good thing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm not pro projecting this as a negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or... The, like, we don't have trails we can use after dark a lot of the time. These the cities and municipalities won't give us the permit yeah. for to that. An, to have an official event. Right. You can yeah. ride them, but not, a, not as an organizational thing. Yeah. Irwin's one of the few I can think of. That what? That we can ride after no, dark. No, you can't. No. You can't. That's, why, that's why the Ray Porter's over at 8 o'clock or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah, Irwin's definitely one we can't use. We used to, Irwin's one we used to be able to use. Yeah. We had some 12- and 24-hour races there that we can't do anymore. Yeah. Uh, North Shore we can't use anymore. River Legacy we can't use anymore. RCP we can't use anymore. Yeah. So basically you're relegated to private or, lands. Or Paladuro. They're the only other ones that, in Texas that I know of that has a 24-hour on an actual mountain bike trail. Yeah. Um, I mean, my guess is you could probably – if you can do it at Paladero, you can probably do it at any of the state parks. Mm. Uh, but the state park permits are the most expensive of all of them. Okay. Like we used to use Cedar Hill. I can't do events out at Cedar Hill. I can't. I can't. Just can't afford to. Yeah. I can't. Because all those costs. That, and that's the other thing going into those multi-day or you know really long. The, the more amenities and the more things and the more services or the more stuff that he offers that stuff's got to be passed on from the rider anyway yeah, yeah. so, yeah. You're, so yeah. then you start like at what point does that start alienate a group that wouldn't show up but like it's all that all that has to balance out it's yeah. it's yeah it's i mean it's a dance um it's a balancing act don't make no mistake and maybe we'll get into this later in the conversation i want to be able to deliver those experiences and the way we've pivoted to the membership base uh, club spinistry stuff it allows us to do some of those adventures on the cheap for people and off offer the experience itself so garrett i'm not saying we're not going to do long mountain bike rides or events anymore 
but like you touched on this past turkey burn, it'll probably look more like that, yeah. where it's a smaller crowd. We don't charge an entry fee for it. So as a club, we meet the per non-permit requirements right. to basically do, what, like you were saying, oh, well, you can just go out there and ride on your own. Yeah, if, if we're not doing a fee-based event, we can do, as long as we're abiding by the park rules, we can do whatever we yeah. want to. Yeah. It's just a group ride at that point. It is. As long as you don't have more than nine people rolling through Bartonville. Is that still a thing? Kind of, sort of, yes. I think I think it's up for discussion again. Yeah. For whatever reason. As it should be. Um, so Garrett just has one more sentence in his email. And I think this is a fantastic idea. And I was trying to figure out how to articulate it before he sent it in in a question. He said, another idea, which is unrelated, would be a, quote, unquote, bring your buddy to ride, ride event. I'm sorry, the font's making this hard for me to read. To introduce ride curious friends to the sport of mountain biking. Well, I think that could go with anything. Even if it was a gravel event or whatever. Oh I, no, I, I I agree tremendously. I think that dovetails well with the conversation we had last week. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, uh, definitely the the takeaway for me the past couple of weeks is to be more proactive in encouraging newer writers. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, exactly what that looks like yet, mm -hmm. uh, but it's definitely something that I'm going to be active in. So this is not saying you should do the exact same thing or or even whatever, but I know with, um, so I climb, uh, and I, my gym membership at the climbing gym allows me to bring a guest once a month with my membership. Um, maybe spinistry members could bring one person per year to an event or something like that, you know? Just I, a thought, something along those lines. I, I'm, think, I'm thinking along the lines of specific events that are aimed at people to bring right. a guest. Yeah. It's like the like uh, after our discussion last week and after listening to uh, Guitar Ted and New York Roll Talk on their last podcast, mm -hmm. we rolled our, out our gravel hoot nanny uh, ride for this coming Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we opened it up to 50 spots to be able to stay, again, back in that realm of not having to get that major permit with the city and stuff like that. Right. Uh, staying within their guidelines. 50 people at, at a gathering spot that I know can accommodate it sort of thing. And where the it's aimed at both the experienced riders, but also people that want guidance from experienced riders as well that filled up in like less than 24 hours. Yeah. So I reached out to the city yesterday. I was like, Hey, what if we did this at this location is, you know, would that be okay with you guys is, you know, we're not breaking any rules by doing it. And we got a, we got authorization to use a larger park and pavilion and, and uh, so forth. So we're able to, we still can't go over a hundred people, but we, we can go to a bigger group. That's pretty cool. Let's get into the technical stuff because this is what I'm always fascinated with. And and Brad, I know you have a little insight to this because you've you've texted me or sent cute selfies of the two of you out scouting. At some point in time after these early races, you thought I want to expand. I want to go in areas that I've never done a race at or an event. Do you immediately you pull out a map and go, well, I can connect this city and this 
rest stop or this gas station or whatever, and then you go out and drive it, or do you just go out and drive and start exploring? And then what did you do before um, ride with GPS and things like that to where you could almost see in real time yourself drawing out these routes while you're recording it in your car? Right. Is, was it just, I mean, a pen and paper? And then going back at home and, and you know, because I'm sure, were you doing these rides before you could send out routes? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that was error. So that would be in the red error, error, arrow only pointing if you didn't have routes. They're orange, you colorblind bitch. Are they orange? No, they're red. They're red. Yeah. No, they're orange. They were, they, they were orange in 2010. I'm not getting. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm not getting color lessons from a guy that couldn't even remember to put lenses in his glasses. <laughs> that but, has nothing to do with color. But back, they were clear. Oh, but, okay. Back to the pivot. We start, Our first batch, our first couple years were orange. Mm-hmm. And then that supplier stopped making orange, so I had to, I had to switch to red. Oh. So. Get with the times. Yeah, damn it. But, um, so, what's the best? So. But Google, was Google Maps a thing at that point? I think. Were you able to scout? Because I, I remember Thornton and I riding uh, to South Dallas, like one of our big rides. So, Google Maps existed. If I remember, I'm almost positive Google it, Maps existed, but it didn't have the detailed aerial views and things. It, it, it had the super fuzzy aerial views. Like I think that still, might be. You could still filter by um, uh, county roads, or I think you could you could filter to get gravel roads back then. You can't do that now. So you know you no? can no. I'm trying to remember because I I remember Thornton and me and Brandish. Because Brandish was teaching us how to scout roads via Google Maps, but I can't remember what year that well, was. Well, keep okay. So, actually, I think both of these are kind of coming together. Yeah. In this, uh, in this, we're back in Venn diagram mode. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's say 2010. Uh huh. Basically, in Texas, if you saw a road designated as a county road in 2010, uh-huh. it was probably a dirt road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or an FM road. Well, not no, necessarily. No. No, no. If it was designated as a county road, it was mm-hmm. a dirt road. Yeah. Generally speak, I mean, that's what, even right around here. Yeah. All around McKinney. Oh, I remember. All, yeah. Just, I mean, literally from Texas Motor Speedway to the Red River was all dirt roads. Oh yeah. So if it wasn't an FM road, or it wasn't the interstate, it was probably if it was if if it and it wasn't a named road. If it was designated as a county road, it was probably dirt. Yeah. Over very rough pavement. Yeah. And it used to almost be that easy. It's like we can just put all this together. And so in the beginnings of things, my task, my job was to string those county roads together in the most interesting fashion. That's what I was looking. It's like let's find the creek crossings, let's find the waterfalls, let's find the big hills, let's find the twisting through the woods stuff. So here's here's a question. Um which came what what came first in that era? Did you find a venue to base out of, or did you put a route together and then try to figure out how to to connect it to a base? Well, so it almost always started out. What would interest me most? Mm-hmm. Riding my bike. What yeah. would I get a kick out of, or what could I show to you or Ben or Shannon or yeah. whoever? Tag along with me for this ride, and I wanted them to go, hey, this is cool. Right. And it's like, if I got that, hey, this is cool response, then it's like, okay, so that's a cool route. Let's, so where could we park people to do that? Right. And where, where, would, where might there be a restroom? Don't forget, our first, midnight mass, our first two midnight massacres 
started at a truck stop. Yeah. I uh, remember. Our first Texas chain ring massacre started at... Fireworks stand? Or was that later? No, our first uh, chain ring massacre started at the um, paintball place over by Texas Motor Speedway. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Adventure Park. Yeah. Yeah. And which I was familiar with them because at the time they had single track yeah. as well. And there were some cool dirt roads right along their property and stuff. So, I don't think I was at that event. Maybe you were, maybe you weren't. Yeah. Well, so it was supposed to be March 21st. And that year, in March 21st, we had 18 inches of snow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The only event of ours that's been called for weather, and it was for snow. For snow. Weather is always a factor. (laughs) Uh, Not the only event. There was the uh, can't do in 2019 that we almost all drowned, and I hid in a barn with cows because there was tornadoes (laughs) in the area. But we started it. We started it. Oh, you're talking about you canceled. This is the only one that you've canceled prior to start. It's full blown event. We've had rides that have canceled, or club rides, or casual stuff. But if I remember correctly, well, I did. Excluding COVID, excluding COVID, the only weather related clo- uh, event closing we've had. Yeah. Um, so that 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 got pushed to May. So our first Texas Chain Ring Massacre ended up being in May. Well, that was. It, did I answer the question, or yeah, did I go I, down a different? You no, know, you, 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 you did. It, 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 it's uh, just a. Just it a, seems like there was no. There, there's no like solid checklist formula as you were starting out that goes. Okay, I figured this out. This is the no, thing. No, it's, we've it's, always been route centric on yeah, everything we do. Yeah, and I noticed that. I noticed that pretty quickly when I started getting involved because I, prior to doing gravel events, I think my first gravel event was probably. Uh, Midnight Massacre of. 2015 or 16 maybe was probably the that first sanger time. yep mm-hmm. and um and yeah my buddy said hey we're gonna go do this gravel event and i'm like i don't i don't have a gravel bike he goes i think you can ride your mountain bike i was like, can i <laughs> he's like yeah i think you can i'm like okay well i'll do it anyway bro you were overbiked man i'm so overbiked <laughs> well, i don't even know what that means anymore um and i thought god this is fucking fun and then and then i think the second event i did is i went down and did the regency maybe it wasn't the second one i quickly realized that the themes i don't even want to say themes but you make the there seems to be an element of either history or a landmark or something cool about a town like why would we want to go all the way down to san Salvador to ride gravel when we have gravel hill well You've got this cool bridge you go through. There's a really, there's a couple of old, almost like ghost towns that you kind of ride through, yeah. and, and it's going out and seeing not only the roads but just parts of Texas, which yeah. I think is a unique thing as well for, yeah. for for somebody. I don't, you know, if you're interested in getting into it into to gravel, you're going to get more out of it than just the cycling. If if you're into that kind of thing, right. like like the rat is amazing. You get see one end of Texas to the other. You see the landscape change significantly. You wake yeah. up one morning and you're riding in one environment, and by the end of the day. You're, it, it's it's completely changing, and now yeah. the I love the idea of the Tasha Trail just from the history. Yeah. You know, if uh, if you've if you've read the book, you know Empire of the Summer Moon, uh, that's a great like listen to the audiobook while you're riding down. Did yeah. you? That, that did, route. Did I you? just watched Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay. Have you seen that yet? I have not seen it. Uh, I'll wait until you've seen okay. it, and then we okay. can discuss it. It's uh, long. Long back three, to three Empire. And a half hours. This, did you see the announcement on that one, Empire, this week? No. Ta- Taylor Sheridan's picked it up 
the well, that makes make, sense. Yeah, he's going to do the book into sense. the movie, like specific or inspired by. It. Okay, he's good. Yeah. That'll be good. Yeah. That'll be worth watching. Yeah. yeah, I think I think so. So just to let you know, because you were asking about sending out routes and stuff, I, I want to remind you, like when I did Kanza or Unbound back in eleven and twelve, they didn't send out routes. There was no GPX route. It was when you registered, they gave you a cue sheet for the first uh, maybe sixty miles. And you had to make it to the second checkpoint to get the cue sheet for the mm-hmm. next segment. And it was literally like go. They didn't have, well, they did have the course marked now, somewhat. Now, when you say you didn't get the cue sheet until registration, do you mean registering online and that was your con- confirmation email? Or did you drive, people were driving from here five, mm-hmm. four and a half, five, six hours to no, go. To nine, a, nine. Is it nine up there? Nine. Yeah, okay. nine, I 10, just drove it last like year yeah. and I couldn't remember. Anyway, regardless yeah. of the yeah. distance. So, but you're driving a very long distance and you don't even know what the route is. You do not, now everyone wants to look at the route and they go, well, here's the refueling right. station. Here's this big climb. So, so uh, you, would, you would show up and the day before or like the week of, I can't remember when it was, they would have on-site packet pickup, I yeah. guess is what I meant. Yeah. And they would give you the first segment, and it would literally be a cue sheet. That's Jim. amazing. Yeah, yeah. You 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 had to navigate by cat eye computer yeah. where uh, turn left at two point eight miles. Yeah, yeah, sort of thing. So if you were if you were miscalibrated, you wouldn't go go. You know, you'd get lost. Yeah, because they would. It was all mileage based uh, turns. Mileage based turn, and I think they I think they still marked. And it was directional. But anyway, Some, they but had they, were hard they, they to had see. This, they had this weird pole marking set up where mm. it would be on one side of the road if you were turning left on the other side if you were turning right and then they'd have a confirmation pole but the local people figured that out real quick and just started moving poles yeah. around. And I mean, we've that's something we've dealt with over the years on a pretty regular basis. But along those lines, make no mistake, DK Almanzo uh Barry Roubaix uh, what uh, tra- guitar Ted's Trans Iowa? There's mm-hmm. other stuff out there that were gravel events before we started doing our stuff. So I don't I don't want to paint the picture that we were the origins of gravel by any stretch of the imagination. But in turn, I wasn't leaning on those events when I started doing mine. Yeah. I didn't know what. It it almost feels like everybody was doing the same thing unwittingly at the same time, well, and then people started discovering and started borrowing from each that, other. That, that, and that's where I kind of want to go with with this a little bit. I actually we got a bunch of pushback from the OG gravel crowd when we first started doing our stuff uh, because we were marking course when mm. routes became available. Uh, GPS files became available. We started giving out GPS routes. We put aid uh, water tables out there. The OG gravel folks, and oh, and, and we charged for our events. Mm-hmm. So the OG gravel folks were very upset with us. We were, I mean, we were troublemakers. We were disruptors. And that wasn't the intent because I, it wasn't, oh, I'm going to take what they do and do it better. It's like, no, we're going to, we're doing this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, from the get go, I think it's fair to say that's we've always done our own thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. not yeah, sure, not to spite anyone else. That's quite frankly one of the things I most like about gravel slash ramble slash adventure cycling, whatever you want to call it. Every event's its own event. Every ride's its own ride. Yeah. If if it's if it sounds like something that you're gonna dig, go for it. If it's something you don't like. Don't do it. Yeah. 
where did um so you, you put these events on for a couple of years and then did was it always in the back of your mind to continue to try to do one or two a year and increase those distances what i'm leaning into is like getting into rat and how that came about and um you know or or were you like no i like these distances i'm going to stay here but i'm going to i'm going to work on one for a couple of years and see if i can make it happen and then focus on that uh and 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 as a sidebar to that same question how long did rat take to come to fruition how long did that get juggled around and proofed and put together and blah 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 so all these pieces just kind of meld together hey yeah. i want to make it super clear there was never any plan to any of this everything was very organic it was what the writers responded to or what they told me hey that's cool but it'd be cooler if you did this or that really sucked i never want to do that again we'd listen to it mm-hmm. uh it would i mean sometimes we'd still put it out there again it's like well that sucks but that's the way we have to do it for reasons yeah yeah you know, yeah one of the big reasons for a lot of change was you know we were talking about when we first started out all these dirt roads are right out literally my front door uh, everybody around here we could tra- in dfw we could travel 30 or 45 minutes and be in a deep gravel network yeah and that just population grew and those those roads started disappearing so now we're to the point you got to travel an hour 90 minutes to find a good gravel network anymore yeah um and that kept getting further and further out so i kept having to scout stuff further and further out and it just got to the point where it was just reflex for me i'm going down an fm road maybe going to this town to get a permit for a pavilion or whatever else but i'm just looking left and right every time i go by a road it's like i've never been down that road mm-hmm. what's that look like and if i had time i'd go down it if more than likely what i would do is like that i don't know you guys know how it is it gets to the point you can look down a road that's an interesting road yeah yeah I'd get home, and the first thing I'd do is pop up the computer, break out the maps, and start looking at things. It's like, oh, that, okay, that road does do that. And, oh, there's a creek that goes across there. And and then you got to drive out there and, that, and proof it. Well, and that's, yeah. what, and that's what I would do. So I would rough out a 100-mile loop yeah. that incorporated what looks like should be interesting roads. Um, some of the... <laughs> probably going to be a dead end yeah. <laughs> but it, we gotta see yeah some of the best roads i didn't believe you i didn't want to believe you when you kept telling me that but he's not lying it, it, nine times out of ten you turn down a road you go god this road looks amazing and you'll drive five or six miles and it'll just be a fence at the end of it mm-hmm. you know a gate mm-hmm. and you're like shit <laughs> and, you, and you can't tell that by the maps yeah and yeah. you can't tell it by the aerial photos too, because a cattle gap looks like a cattle gap, whether it's an open gate or yeah. a closed gate. Yeah, yeah. I've learned to uh, over the years to zoom in as far as I can to see if I can see a gate. Yeah, and it depends on what time of day the satellite photo was taken. It takes the shadow. And you got to see the shadow. It takes yeah. the shadow. Yeah. That's the long way around. To, so I got in the habit of basically whenever I'm out and about for whatever reasons. I'm always looking for interesting looking roads. And then I, if I find something that looks interesting, the first thing I do is look at the maps next chance I get. And that followed through with my trips to New Mexico and Colorado Mm -hmm. as well. So I'd go to South boundary trail and we'd we'd hang out at red river, come back and coming back from Taos one time crossing the state line. I just looked to the South and it's like, man, that's a cool looking road. Yeah. Lucy. And you know what road I'm talking about. 
Is that the the state the the, the descent off the cap rock? I was right going to say the, yeah in, the, in yeah. the Glen Rio there. Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. I could see that from the interstate. It's like that's a really cool looking road, and it was from looking at that, seeing that road as I drove by at eighty miles an hour. That's where the rat. That was that was where the idea kind of the the egg was laid. <laughs> the idea was planted. That's kind of like that's, designing that's, a joke that, around a punchline. That's where the nut was burst. Oh wow, that that's that's a way to say it. I know that you operate within a fairly significant area here in the northeast Texas, and further east and a little bit to the west. But at some point, there's a threshold. Like I knew, like you probably weren't going very far past Lindsay and St. Joe and all that, but maybe you were. But that one spot, that's where you go, okay, I want to start building that towards this direction. Where did you, at what area did you decide, I'm going to go out and push out further than I normally have and see if I can get to that road out of the cap rock? I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it didn't, it was not a nine-month process. That was probably, that was actually, that was, prob- that, that was probably the first hard on. That wasn't the burst nut. That was, ooh, that's sexy. That's sexy. And <laughs> I love it, though. I get to edit this stuff, too. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I just don't know how to respond. Like, do I take that further, or do I just like, or, or do we just pretend it doesn't happen, and then that e- that's funny because we don't acknowledge? I don't know. Uh, you, you do. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, if I go over the line, let me know. Um, I mean, y'all, y'all were the one that asked for this shit. There is no line. No, there is no line. <laughs> um, so that was the, I mean, that was the inspiration for what eventually became the rat, I guess is the best way to put it. There were definitely other pieces that came into play. The hugest piece being, I mean, just this conversation Shannon and I had, you know, about Great the, guy. the concept of doing, doing, a, doing a ride all the way across the state. Yeah. And it was meant as a tour divide training ride. Was the we were kind of at that point where, again, it's it's all around the endurance multi day ride as long as you can. Mountain bike crowd was that was I mean that that was that was where I came from, and the our crowd because of Ray Porter started getting interested in the tour divide, mm-hmm. and everybody was like, "How do you even learn how to do that? How do you train for that?" It's like, you know, I, to me, it made all the sense. Well, we've got all these dirt roads out there. You just ride. Until you can't. Until and you, you can. sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you you decide, okay, I'm going to do this. And then you've got to start planning. And then, I know this is before the stage version of it, but there were still areas that you suggested would be decent places to stop and sleep because Texas is full of private land. So do you just go as you start in Texarkana and start driving it and then stopping in areas and saying, Hey, here's what I'm doing. Can we use your fairground or. So here, here was, here was the first rat. There were uh, several key components. Uh, A key component was to come carry. Because for the finish, because we had, Spent some time in Tucum Carry for whatever reason, and it, my, it's when my kids were watching Car, the movie Cars, and all mm-hmm. that. Yep. And it's like this is really cool. This is a neat spot. The history, the scenery. Mm-hmm. Thought it'd be a really cool finish line uh, because of shout out to Dean Nix mm-hmm. and Dean really kicking off the Northeast Texas Trail awareness in its infancy. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we wanted to showcase the Northeast Texas Trail, and we also wanted to showcase the Caprock Canyon Trail. Mm-hmm. So those those were the pieces to begin with. It's like I want to end in Tucumcari because it's cool. I want to get that Glen Rio State Line Road in because it's cool. I want to get the net in because people need to get exposed to it. I want, and this Caprock Canyons Trail is is really cool. Then everything becomes how do you connect the dots? Kind of like what we were talking about. How do you find a venue or whatever? Well, first you get the route, and then the you get the dot to connect is where can we park everybody, or where's there a restroom, or where can they resupply or whatever. Yeah. So sometimes it's like we might have this perfect circle. Well, we need a staging area. So then a point comes off that circle just to accommodate that. So it turns a 50 mile route into a 60 mile route or whatever, or we need resupply. Oh, well, there's nothing. We're in the middle of nowhere on these dirt roads. So we got to jump off to this tiny little town that has these killer sandwiches at the deli sort of thing. Yeah. 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 And there's almost a, (laughs) there's almost like a checkbox or there's almost rat bingo. Like, did you get a Bob? Yeah. (laughs) Or did you get a turquoise coffee? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, when we first laid out the rat, it was basically to get from point A to point B and incorporate these pieces along the way. And then the first thing that came to mind was, well, we got we need somewhere to sleep each night. So we built it around connecting state parks along the way. So the first two years of the rat focused on utilizing the net, the Caprock Canyons trails and state parks. And then my workload was to find a network of dirt roads that connected each of those pieces. Yeah. Yeah. How much different was the route then versus what it is now? There almost no similarity whatsoever right now. Okay. For various reasons, we had to take the net out of the mix. Mm -hmm. Was that just unreliable? It's not. Yeah. We couldn't count on it. We couldn't back then particularly, but it's even still true today. The net isn't realistically traversable now. Back then it really wasn't. But yeah. we had this expectation that it's just around the corner, we're, and we're, we were helping to feed that interest in the net was what we were looking at. And hey, if we just get a hundred more people interested in it, all these counties along the way, they're going to do everything they can to keep it maintained because they're going to appreciate all these people coming through. No, they don't. They didn't. Yeah. It didn't work out. No. Yeah, I remember scouting it with you and Truman way back. Yeah, a yeah, long time. Yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. So state parks came out of the mix. Going back to uh, the state parks all wanted even we though we had 10 people just camping in the state park that night that's a special event mm. oh. so we would literally have to spend hundreds if not thousands of dollars at each state park each day to meet their requirements so we had to take that out of the mix other places along the other pieces along the way got paved over we found dirt go-arounds other places along the way it's just impassable for weeks if it's rained yeah so we had to go around those sort of thing and it just evolved over the years um to to what it is now and this is what we pretty much consider a permanent route minor variations here and there each year but pretty much the same yeah where do you see you know we i think a couple episodes back you were talking about you know the possibility of short track XE being a, coming back and bringing its its itself back into the game again. What do you see changing from not just gravel, but also the bike packing races, the multi day, or the 
long multi-day or maybe short multi-day is is there how is it evolving what are you seeing as far as like trends go what do you how are you going to react to that um he's going to pivot 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 i mean we've been struggling with trying to reach critical mass on bike packing for years uh and we've jumped through tons of hoops trying to help seed it um i think bike packing is at its critical mass phase right it's not it's still not huge by any stretch of the imagination but i think i think it's gotten to its participation and awareness level that over the next 10 years it's going to become what it's going to become yeah. like the gravel mm-hmm. scene became the gravel scene. It, the gravel scene took from 2012 to 2018, 19 to really f- phase into its popular yeah. current iteration. But the barrier for entry for someone to dip their toe into gravel, at least in, in, the unaware person's mind is a lot easier than it is for someone to dip their toe into the bikepacking realm. Sure, sure. Yeah. I would argue that there's more people that are bikepacking curious than has ever been. And oh, there's, no, there, def- there definitely is. And the participation is at its highest level. Yeah. It's never going to be huge, though. It's always going to be super niche. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of people think they have to have way more stuff than they do to go on their first bike packing man, we, trip. Man, we could go, we could go so deep into that. Yeah. That general conversation. I mean, just just the general bike snobbery in general. Yeah. Um, in generally general general. I was I was, <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. The, From the Department of Redundancy Department. Yeah. yeah. Um, the bike snobbery aspect of all parts of cycling. All phases, all disciplines. Obviously, there's bike packers that look down their noses at the roadies that are so bike snobbish. But man, in the bike pa- the bike packing world is just as bad about the bike snobbery aspect as anything. I'm not saying everybody is. Yeah. But there. Yeah, it certainly exists in the oh in the know, major categories for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh oh. Well, if you're not going 100 miles a day, you're not bike packing. Yeah, sure. I fell yeah. into that. If you don't category, if, I, if, you don't, if you don't have a dynamo hub, you're not bikepacking. Hmm. If all of those things get thrown about, not by everybody, but anybody that comes in with a question or a thought, or I'm thinking about doing this, even if there's ten supporting comments to that, there's going to be two, three, or four just negative comments for the sake of negativity. Yeah, and. As a promoter, what I've learned over the years is the vast majority of those negative commenters, they never get out and do it themselves at all. <laughs> I mean, they're, yeah. they're, the, they're the keyboard warriors. It's the classic keyboard warrior thing. The things that I'm seeing more and more kind of pop up online, and, and I even had um, someone I work with, we were talking about it is, so like the the clear direction there's there's multi-surface seems to be coming back or not multi-surface but multimedia the going back to the what the original spinistry stuff single track and gravel right or riding going (laughs) see that dog or going from one trail to the other so that's i'm seeing a lot more of those pop up kind of like maybe the I have two dogs in my life (laughs) hey guys (laughs) sorry this is welcome to shiftless you know, some people are pe- some people are dog people. Yeah, my dogs are people, people dogs. People dogs. Yeah, I love these babies. Um, okay, where was I? So, you know, like you did the um, the turkey burn this year, which I, th- you know, unfortunately the 
the trails were closed. Weather is always a factor. Weather is always a factor, especially that time of year. But that idea was great. I love that. And then the other thing that I'm seeing a lot of is, and this addresses your, well, if you don't have a dynamo, if you're not riding 100 miles, or if you don't have the best gear or whatever, this kind of shows that there are people that, that, that are pushing against that as well, are the multi-day, almost ragbri style events like uh graveler in arkansas the arkansas graveler i think mm-hmm. it's like six days to ride 350 miles i think that's right right but it's it's definitely more of a party pace it's not a competition and i think right. that may be also it's like ragbri how far is ragbri well i mean that it's it's ragbri doesn't typically have super long distance in every day is it no are it's they like 50 mile days isn't yeah it? and then and then it's a big party at the end and, yeah. and there's food and, and i think that's what this is closer towards i mean you still have a lot of climbing because it's in in arkansas in northwest arkansas but um and maybe and, and there are plenty of events like that like i think rebecca's private idaho is is kind of similar to that i don't know if it's an official race but it maybe that is more of a gateway for people because there's not the competition aspect of it and maybe maybe the competition scares them or gives it's, them a little uh, anxiety lucky you've got to give me some personal space buddy you heard his <laughs> I'm feelings gonna call, i'm gonna call hr <laughs> i mean it's Goodness. it's <laughs> get your kids under control it's always been a, a balancing act the race oriented riders have always wanted a more race centric uh oriented event but the non-competitive traditional gravel riders, you know, are feeling excluded that the the racers get too much attention, mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I and I get I I get it from I understand it from both sides. And it's 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 an impossible balancing act for everyone to be happy along those lines. So that that's part of why we've always done our variety of events and trying new things it's like well okay you're a mountain biker and you want something more mountain bike centric here's what we're doing that's mountain bike centric you're you know you you want a big cash purse here's what we're doing that 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 delivers that experience you want something super casual where you don't have to worry about racers coming up and getting on your wheel or anything like that here's what we're doing along those lines so we've always tried to offer different experiences for people looking for different things and we still do that. The one thing that's really shifted for us over the past few years on the gravel side specifically, when gravel went to that next level in pop- culture popularity, cycling culture popularity, and the big national level events got into it and, and things like that, we've kind of stepped back from the, the, the racing-centric side of things. Don't get me wrong. People want to come out and race our events. We still have... You can see who's got the best time side by side with you. But that's not a focus of what we do now. People kept trying to say, well, if you just did it like this, you could be more like XYZ event. It's yeah. like, that's not what that's we're not what you're trying to do. We're trying yeah. to do spinistry events. And I appreciate that you want to do that. And you know what? Our spinistry event can help you get trained up to go do well at that one yeah. sort of thing. That's kind of the, where that's always been the intent. Again, going back to the rat. The intent of the rat was to help people learn how to do something like the tour divide. So we've always been happy being in that middle ground of not having no idea what to do 
to progress to where you knew what you were doing. We right. wanted to help fill that gap in between, and we're happy to be there. We've never positioned ourselves as the pinnacle of, well, you know, your life should revolve around this ministry event sort of thing. Well, a lot of ours do, though. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> it's a big job. There's a lot of work that goes into it that a lot of people, I don't think, realize. What What's something that people may think is an easy thing to do that's technically a lot of work or difficult and then what is something that may seem difficult that's pretty simple as far as like planning races like for instance someone shows up and they want to change their distance from the 100k to the 50k is that typically a pain in the ass uh not anymore okay it could could be depending on there's lot lots of pieces uh, so a big core of what we do and again it's all organic it's all pivoting it's all well that we do this so we're able to do that didn't know that when we started doing this uh, our registration platform run sign up slash bike sign up gives us a lot of flexibility a lot of tools that we work with mm-hmm. that people approach us all the time well it'd be better if you use bike reg not as much now as it used to be Five years ago, yeah, bike reg used to be the standard. Right, we it was like a, the ticket master of bike events. We went a different direction. Nothing against bike reg. We went a different direction for various reasons. The main reason was the club platform that Run Sign Up offered, but even more importantly, was the timing software that we used at the time integrated with Run Sign Up. So yeah. we could take last second signups, hit sync, and boom. It's loaded on right there on the spot, loaded to our timing sort of thing. Bike Ridge didn't have that capability with the software we used. Now, it was available with other softwares that might cost us $30,000 that we weren't going to spend at that point. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. How does anybody even like get into that realm? That seems counterproductive almost. Which, which realm are you talking about? I'm spending thirty k for Bike Ridge tools and stuff it's not well it's not bike reg tools it's the oh. timing tool oh oh yeah my bad okay so it's the it's the it's the software and hardware package mm-hmm. and that again we're back in the realm of niche industry niche industry niche industry there's only so many people that are doing those things so people that offer solutions to it sometimes think they have a captive audience so yeah it's real easy to go well nobody else does this we're you know if you want this type of capability in your electronic timing you have to go to us and then lo and behold some independent podunk from arkansas mm-hmm. don't, don't don't take that the wrong way brian yeah is going to put something up there that works as well maybe even better designed for, around like a raspberry pie <laughs> or whatever so yeah. uh, you know again kevin's a cheap bastard we talk about it day in day out you keep saying this i'm not sure if i'm convinced yet Okay, I put together my own timing system for about $2,000 as opposed to spending $30,000. That was sarcasm, by the way. Okay. <laughs> so here's here's one of my questions. What, what are things that you initially thought were critical that you no longer do or vice versa? What were things that weren't even on your radar when you first started events that you think are, and I don't mean critical, but you think are way more important now? Uh, I want to go back to Caleb's a little bit because it kind of it, it ties it together. That's why I was getting there. Um, the one thing that people think is generally, not everyone, but it, it comes up really regularly, people mm-hmm. think is easier than 
ever could be. Lots of people just go, well, just get the sponsors to take care of that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, it's, it's, I mean, even if it's only 10% of the people think that that's mm-hmm. a large chunk of people that just think, Oh, well, you know, you can just get the sponsor to cover that twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 in timing equipment. No, you can't. <laughs> I bet it's difficult enough to get them to send a gift file so you can put their logo on, on the T-shirt. <laughs> you're, 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 you're pretty close to right. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to knock the sponsors that are out there that no. are. It's, again, we're, riding bicycles is a very, very niche industry. And mm-hmm. particularly right now, the industry itself is is I, I, it may not be a death spiral but it's not it's not good oh there's gonna be a hu- huge shuffle in sponsors and everything for tour for the tour this year it'd be interesting to see how everything settles yeah. out. so uh i mean so we've been trying for several years trying to appeal to partners and sponsors that weren't specifically cycling oriented mm-hmm. and with my marketing background i know we have something that fits but again, it's just it's it's outside the box thinking for everybody involved, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, so that's that's something that people think uh, a lot of people think is e- a lot easier than it is. And then there's the aspect of Kevin being an asshole, so it's really hard for me to keep sponsors happy to begin with. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So uh, something that's a lot easier than people think. To be honest with you. Well, and, and along those lines, like if, if, if you form an alliance with a certain town, like, and I, and I don't mean Paris specifically, right, but just right, for the argument, right, right. like once you make an agreement with Paris one year, is it something that you have to maintain, you have to renew every year, or do you have ongoing relationships with multiple uh, municipalities and stuff? Yeah, basically you have to, from a if you're thinking about promoting events and mm-hmm. thinking it's a long-term thing, you might be into, or if it's something you are doing now and have started to have some success with it, mm-hmm. you need to plan to start over your relationship with any sponsors, mm-hmm. communities, municipalities, chambers of commerce. Mm-hmm. You need to have it in your plan book that you're going to have to restart that relationship each and every time yeah because i get i get officials cycle in and out and you know terms in and very stuff like that very de- very definitely yeah. uh administrate administrations change rules change populations change mm-hmm. priorities change you can't take anything for granted mm-hmm. uh, that said it kind of goes the other way sometimes if you've worked with a certain venue municipality mm-hmm. um slate of uh, of providers on a regular basis and everything does turn upside down sometimes you can be the savior and go well this is how we've done it in the past mm-hmm. so i know this is an issue that you're concerned about this is how we've addressed it in the past yeah. or well i know farmer brown down in this corner of the county has had issues with Riders leaving goo wrappers next to his place before. If he brings up anything, just let him know that uh, you know our sweet our sweet vehicle will pick that up for sure this time. Yeah, and it, so a lot of times, I think. Well, I mean, I'm sure the first couple of times you don't know you don't know what your your pain points are until after the fact, and you have to address them in post and and then make uh, 
the, you know. Generally speaking, outside of Farmer Brown examples, mm-hmm. uh, the the pain points are almost the same from event to event, county mm-hmm. to to county. A lot of people just have no idea what we're talking about about sending a couple hundred people out on dirt roads on bicycles. Right. The first reaction is you're going to have a bunch of bikers here. Yeah. And I always have to qualify. Muscle, muscle bike. Yeah. <laughs> Bicycles, not motorcycles. Yeah. Because the, fr- the first reaction when we say, oh, well, we're going out on 100 miles of dirt roads, they can't fathom yeah. the yeah. concept of people riding bicycles. You got to connect those dots for yeah. them. Yeah. Hell, I don't even like to drive 100 miles. Oh, my God. <laughs> if I had a penny. <laughs> but what are some things that you did in the beginning that you don't even think are important now or vice versa? Hmm. Or you can think about that, and I've got one more question. Yeah. Or I have a bunch of questions. I could ask you questions all day. But how long does it take, like, uh, the Tasha route, for example? And that's a bigger, much longer format route. Sure. But how long does one of your normal, like, say it's a 60, 100-miler route, take from um, idea to actually putting it into work or, or lining it up or or does it come together differently than anybody thinks or whatever i uh, i mean again i think my method is probably different than 99 percent of the people out there so this yeah. is the kevin approach because i think about it like when i'm thinking about a recipe it's not like i go okay i'm gonna make this and then two weeks later it's made it's it I toss it around in my brain for a while. I do, you like, know, different points of inspiration, and then it finally just comes together when it comes together. Yeah. Again, the similarities of what we do, it's it's like parallel lines. It yeah. really is. So it's 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 along the lines of, I've got this ingredient to work with. What can I do with it? Yeah. It's and like it, you've got this segment of road. Yeah. And you're like, I need to incorporate this into something. So so, I, maybe the best way to answer this is to give a recent example Uh just the other day Uh so trying to come up with a plan c for our total eclipse ride yeah just in case we have to go as far south as we can viably pull off if everything to the north is uh cloudy or bad weather Mm -hmm. or whatever else plan a is paris Plan A has actually shifted to Navarro Mills Lake. Okay. But plan B is Paris. Okay. But we'll talk about that in another episode. Okay. Um, we needed a plan C to the south. And there's a certain property that uh, Mr. Walchman and I had come across on the Colorado River with these fantastic bluffs overlooking the river that I knew I wanted to use for an event at some point. Mm-hmm. And, I still, and I still want to. It's a, re, it's a really neat property. And yeah. It's a really neat venue. But it so worked, it's a private property? Yeah, okay. yeah very private. Um, but with camping and river access, it's really neat. And when we tr- first tried to use it for an event, it was right in the middle of deer season. And basically, that whole property is you know, all they do is deer, deer lease at that uh-huh. time of year. But I also knew that going south towards Austin and San Antonio and everything's just booked up for the the eclipse everybody in the world thinks they want to be at enchanted rock for the total eclipse is what's going on i thought this piece of property might be just far enough outside that population bubble that if we needed to use it as a plan c we might be able to i'm looking at the property and it's like you know what there's this whole network of roads between what we've done out of crawford and valley mills and what we've done out of san saba that i haven't explored yet and it's right you know it's right down there so i laid out this network 
probably 200, well, so it was actually, I laid out a 500 mile loop, but the stuff I really wanted to to look at was about 250 miles of new stuff that I'd never been on before. Mm-hmm. You know, so I looked at the maps, I looked at the aerials, and it's like, okay, I can connect this and that and this and that and some really interesting stuff. So that was a night of computer work. Mm-hmm. And we hopped in the car with the dogs on Saturday, just because we had cabin fever, it's like, let's get out. And when my wife says she's willing to scout routes, it's like, let's get out. Let's go. Yeah. And so we just went down there and we started scouting roads and found some really cool roads. Found some that weren't so cool. Yeah. And found some good tacos and headed. It's always a good day. Oh, <laughs> it, it was a success. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but all that said, so that was a, a night of mapping, a full day of driving. Mm-hmm. And I maybe have 25% of a 100-mile route nailed down. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that said. But sometimes it's more fruitful than that, right? So that, that that's what I call my initial scout. That's like getting the know the lay of the land mm-hmm. sort of thing. And now I know I need to do one more dedicated trip. But now I know my way around the area. I know those counties and how they maintain their roads and which ones are likely to be mm-hmm. 400 yards wide versus just little narrow ones and mm-hmm. and things like that and oh i don't want to use that farm to market road because it has no shoulder and there's rock trucks going up and down it but that fm road hardly anyone's on it and it's got an eight foot shoulder you learn some of those basics and now i can go down for another full day trip down there and i'll probably have 85 or 90 percent of the route nailed down and then I get that figured out, and then it's, well, what can we use for venues or resupply or, or, or whatever else along those lines? And then typically what I'll do is we'll do an informal event, a club ride sort of thing, see yeah. if we can get 15, 20 people there. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and check it out and get their feedback on it and mm-hmm. you know is this something a bunch of people would be interested in maybe we need to find that next level venue or whatever right. else so but so in this instance you created the route and then you're finding a, a hub a, a starting point uh you right. know a launch spot right uh, i mean i almost always do the route first yeah. it's all about the route yeah so if i find a fantastic route that i can't find a decent venue mm-hmm I mean, my worst case scenario is I can always find, I can find a hip camp somewhere nearby that, hey, we can get six people to camp there for the night and, and do it as a group yeah. sort of thing. Or it's like, okay, I can, I can get some longer distance riders and, you know, it's, 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 it's away from the route, but I know there's this state park here that we can all camp at and make a day of it sort of thing or a weekend of it. Um, but I mean, typically, typically speaking, before it becomes an event, event. Uh, I mean, it's route first has to be a good route, mm-hmm. and then there has to be a viable venue. Mm-hmm. And then outside of that, as far as resupply goes, yeah, the ideal situation is we have a convenience store every twenty miles. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't work that way. It's like, all right, so then we're going to have a spinistry table here, or the spinistry truck's going to rotate around the whole time with coolers and stuff like that. Yeah, or whatever we need to do. So yeah, it's route venue resupply is third, and resupply is always an option. 
it doesn't have to be there to make it a route uh, mm-hmm. an event. Mm-hmm. So at what point do you purchase orange slices? <laughs> uh, I need to start doing that again. Yeah, we got we got. You got away from that, and I think that's well, we got we got people want them back. Okay, I, and I want them back too. Yeah, and I keep saying that, and I keep I keep forgetting. It's not it's not it's not part of our it's not part of our routine our shopping routine at the yeah. moment. We need to make it part of the shopping. They never have them at Sam's. We do a lot of Sam's Club shopping now. Yeah, I'll see if they have them at Costco. Okay. Yeah. That was that was something you know, I, I hate I hate keep throwing it in the mix, but it, I mean it's part of the practical aspect of things. It's part you know part of if people are looking at doing stuff like yeah, you know, I mean we used to do the reach in the bucket and grab your orange slices thing, uh-huh. and then COVID came around, so we got yeah. away from it. Yeah. It's not that we don't want to do it; it's like it just got oh, it's not our habit anymore. It's right. not our routine. Right? Yeah, I remember you were doing bottled water instead of jugs of water. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny how many tiny little things that we don't even think about got affected throughout this whole thing and and we're scared to kind of revert back to wh- how they were not scared but you it just gets ingrained right and i mean the, the bottle the bottled waters are a, fan, a fantastic example quite frankly it's mm-hmm. one of those things we kind of went that direction not out of necessity per se it was more along the lines of precautionary yeah it was like yeah. we we don't know what you know we everyone was in the realm of what really matters what doesn't matter it's like well there's no downside to just having an individual bottled water other than the, the waste and yeah. yeah the waste aspect of yeah. it and then yeah i, I don't i don't want to minimize that because no, no you're good no because that is that's a that's some that's some what's something that's really hard that you what do you do with trash yeah that's mm-hmm. one of our biggest things yeah yeah i mean that's a that's a actually yeah <laughs> Trash and portageons or toilets in general. Those, yeah. are, those are the those are the those are the two hardest, most difficult things to deal with. And setting up water water tables in the right spot on the route. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I had to pick that scab. No, no, it's uh, it's it, no, it's it's actually it's been unfortunately that's one of those that's been when I say a regular issue. Not every other event or anything, but probably three, four times over the years. Yeah. That's been one of our shortcomings for various reasons is water tables not being where they needed to be when they needed to be there. Yeah. And, uh, one, I mean, one example was our water table vehicle uh, became a SAG vehicle unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so. But that was due to an injury, right? Yeah, but people yeah. that are expecting that water table sure. to be there, particularly the leaders, they, sure. they don't know that. Yeah. And so that's a takeaway from that event was, oh, I'm never going to put our water table vehicle in that position again. Yeah. So that that was a takeaway. You learn from every event. You sure. learn from your mistakes. Yeah. Uh, another time it was sending the water tables out to basically an area that was outside of cell coverage but i had specifically put a pin on the person's phone yeah you go here right google maps loaded it was the right way but once that person got out of cell coverage google maps redid everything yeah and for some reason i think that's i think that goes to the one you're talking about it actually reset the end point to the next road south yeah and that's when the water table got put (laughs) There and they were like, "Where's all the riders?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, should have had get it make make them a paper map. 
And, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's a long that's that that's a long way around to putting out water tables is putting out water tables and marking course and unmarking course. Yeah. Are those fall in the purview of my responsibilities almost every event anymore? Yeah. But it's all related because I'm the one that knows the route. Yeah. I'm the one that knows. Oh, if I want to get from this side of the route to this side of the route, I don't want to just take this line. I want to go up and over like this. Yeah, sort of, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was one of the things that I, I, you know, every event that I do with you or of yours, I start to notice more of the behind the scenes stuff. I'm, I'm more cognizant of it than I've ever been. And that was one of the things that I was impressed with at Terlingua is, you know, we would ride and we'd see you, we saw you, you know, four or five times and just the appreciation of how much knowledge you have of all those roads to know, okay, they just left here. They'll be at this point in about, you know, four hours or three hours or whatever. And knowing that you could lollygag and, and drive this direction and hit this spot and whatever and still end up there in plenty of time. It was impressive, you know, and I know you do that on the regular, you know, with uh, a lot of your uh, events and routes and, and you end up, you know, like towards the end, you'll drive backwards on the course and just check on everybody. You know, I think that's a cool aspect. I, I understand a lot of it's for your peace of mind as it, well. It, it is for my peace of mind. Um and but that is something I have struggled with. Uh, don't don't and make no mistake. I am perfectly happy being out on the course all day long, mm-hmm. the routes all day long. Uh, but I'm also perfectly happy being at the finish line mm-hmm. and congratulating everyone and hanging out with them and drinking beers and eating barbecue or just mm-hmm. cowbelling the hell out of it. And that's been my personal biggest struggle i can't do both at the same right there's no there's just no way to do it yeah you can't be everywhere so i've i've you know essentially what it boil you know the i don't know it's been conscious it's just what it's evolved to over the years is things kind of work out where i get back to the finish line usually after most of the shorter route riders are already done mm-hmm but I catch most of the mid-distance riders and then the leaders for the longer distance. Mm-hmm. And then I go back out on the route to either you know sweep or pick up water tables or check on riders after those leaders. Right. So I, I get a lot of time with the mid-distance riders and the slower short-distance riders and the faster long-distance riders. But who I don't get to spend a lot of time with are the faster short distance riders and the not as fast long distance riders. And those are actually some of the most interesting people to talk to, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's, here's a follow-up question. After Raj County finishes, how long until you can call the <laughs> event a wrap? Like, cause a lot of people, they finish, they get their beer, they get their food hang out for a little bit. Some people hang out for longer, maybe stay for podiums. And then when everybody gets in their vehicle and they drive off, right. Kevin, Kevin's still there. Right. Jan's still there. Foster's still there. Right. Typically. Typically. 
So what is what does wrapping an event look like? You know, that's the behind the scenes. You know, I think people want to know like how an event gets created, put into fruition, right? And then, but but I don't think people give enough uh, credit to the, all the behind the scenes stuff. What does it look like when the event's over? And I mean, because you're not picking up arrows that day necessarily, you know. Whenever it's viable, I do. But yeah, yeah. I'll usually at least get a chunk of them to shorten yeah. up my next day. Yeah. Um, the um, so typically the way the way that looks again going back to leaders for the longer longer route come in. Mm-hmm. Everything's still set up. Everything yeah. you know, timings there, food and drink are there. Mm-hmm. So uh, ev- everything's going on, and I'll either be going backwards on the course, or I will be picking up some of the arrows and actually sweeping mm-hmm. uh, the longest route at that point and picking up arrows and picking up water tables. Cause that's probably, a, we've had so many water tables and water jugs stolen over the years. That's oh. a, that's a frustration. Yeah, no shit. Um, and arrows too. Not, that's not nearly the issue it used to be. But, right. Uh, yeah. That was definitely a, a, a very big pain point along the way. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, I'll be getting, usually be getting updates from foster. Mm-hmm. 20 still out, 15 still out, yeah. 10 still out. And kind of usually when it gets under 10 or out and and maybe I'm starting to see who the stragglers are and uh, Peter's still 20 miles away yeah, or Rich is still 14 miles away or whatever else. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll have a sense, okay, uh, you, know, you know, we get down under 10, close to five, five or six left. I'll, I'll tell Foster to go ahead and start packing up timing, but he'll leave the computer running. Yeah. But he can manually time at that point. We don't have 30 people coming through the start finish right. at the same time or anything like that. Um, typically at that point, Jan will start packing up whatever stuff she can to take home with her. Right. And if Peter's out there, she'll be packing up a bag lunch for him or yeah. bag dinner for him yeah. at that point. Yeah. But Peter being out there still is nowhere near the same as someone who's new to riding. No, <laughs> he's going to be fine. And that, brings, yeah. I mean, that that, that, that brings up a, a good point. Uh, we've made a conscious effort over the years, not to dissuade people from going longer. I don't want to paint that picture. We actually, we do encourage it, but we encourage people to build up to the longer distances and do our rides as a longer distance when it's appropriate for them. Yeah. We, we definitely had a pain point early in the process where lots of people, oh, well, this is going to be my first century ride. This will be my first hundred miler, not, yeah. not hundred miles of gravel. This is their first hundred. How, how, what's the longest ride you've done so far? 17 miles. <laughs> oh, and you're going to do a hundred miles of gravel. <laughs> and what are you using for navigation? Well, you've got arrows up there, don't you? Maybe. What do you mean, maybe? It's like they've been up for three days. Yeah. Wind might have blown. Somebody might have turned them the wrong. Well, what happens if they're turned the wrong way? <laughs> don't turn that direction. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, on the front end of things, that that was a. Again, I'm not discouraging people from doing that, but you don't go from 17 miles on your paved path behind your house yeah 200 miles of gravel yeah you, you have to build up to that and i think we've done a pretty good job of helping people do those progression steps uh you know over the past six eight years i think we've done a pretty good job anybody that's done hotter than hell has seen those characters that have that's their first century you know uh and, 
and those type those types of events that's that's part of their draw that is I mean, they cater to that audience that's yeah. the, we're not catering yeah. to that audience yes we want people to do their first hundred miler we want to help them get there this isn't the t you don't know how to change a tire no but you'll you, you'll come help me if i need help no no not no. so much you're on your own <laughs> once yeah. you get out of eyesight <laughs> you're on your own well you, you said there'll be a sweep vehicle well, yeah somebody's going to come around and make sure nobody's lying in the ditch yeah but it might be six hours down the road what do you mean we're not here to coddle you no um and i and, and i don't I'm not trying to be callous about it by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't. I, I don't want people to think it's it's different than that. Um, but in turn, I, I I do see both sides of it. It's like, well, I mean, if you're not, if there's not a SAG vehicle, and if I if I if I need if I should have a GPS device, and what you know, why should I even pay to enter your event? It's like, well, I, 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 maybe, I, maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe, yeah. May, yeah. maybe it's not appropriate. You're but not going to make that person happy anyway, regardless. And I'm, well, I'm, I'm not trying to paint them as, as a, um, perturbance. No, it's, Whoa. it's a S S A T hey, word right there. Don't choke on those big words over there. <laughs> I love words. Uh, all of them di different people are looking for different experiences and we're, and we're back to that's that's one of the things i absolutely love about the gravel scene is yeah. whatever experience you want there's somebody out there catering to it yeah yeah well i feel and again i don't want this to be a commercial for this spinistry even though you are him and he is you and you are i you are but him. we are incredibly lucky to have because there's a lot of places that that they have gravel roads and they may have like one event or two events a year and those are their premier signature events or whatever yeah. and it's another thing to live in a region where there's could be 13 on the calendar yeah. i mean you know and those are official events that doesn't that doesn't include the ones that are hey here's a challenge or yeah or here's a meetup or here's a training ride or whatever yeah, well, again it, i'm sorry no it's okay Go it, for it. it's i've always been of the opinion that the best way to grow cycling is give people more opportunities to ride their bikes. Agreed. Sure. Uh, yeah. And we've talked about it on the show a lot. It's every new mountain bike trail that comes about for whatever reasons is beneficial to the cycling community mm -hmm. and the cycling industry. Cause that's one more person at least that lives closer to a trail now. Yeah. Um, or path or whatever. But, no, is. that's what yeah. I'm saying. So every, every, so Again, my mountain bike background, my initial perspective of it was when I was involved with Fwimba and Camba and Dorba, mm -hmm. and I, I was always rattling more trail, more trail, more trail. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the old Dorba line used to always be, we've got more trail than we can handle now. Mm -hmm. That turned around. That was from a volunteer aspect, though. Right. Yeah. And my, my argument was always, if there's more trails, there's more volunteers. Yeah. That's ultimately that's what's going to happen. You're going to grow the membership base by providing more trails. Yeah, and it you know, it, it's it's not a chicken and egg thing because the membership doesn't grow to create more trails. The trails being there's that's that's the egg. It yeah. really is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've thought the same thing about gravel as well. It's yeah, the traditional model. From a business aspect, all I should be doing is just 
doing everything I can to maximize Texas Chain Ring Massacre every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That should be it. From the traditional way you, you do gravel events or bicycle events or whatever, I shouldn't be doing anything else. I should devote 100% of my time to making that. I mean, it would, it would easily be an, a true national-level multi-thousand-person event if that's what my focus was. Um, but that's not how you grow the cycling community. That doesn't. Ha- it's not how I grow the cycling community, and it's not how I have fun putting on events. Yeah, quite. Frankly. I would be absolutely miserable. Yeah, devoting my full year to trying to generate a couple hundred thousand dollars of revenue. Yeah, from one event, so I can pay the staff properly to support it. And I mean, that's that's why we stay. That's high level babysitting at that point. Yeah, that's why we stay in that five hundred to six hundred person range for Texas Chain Ring Massacre, and that's twice what i'm comfortable with we can do it once a year yeah but we can do it with the resources we have and the people we know right as opposed you to you can make it work for you we we can support that 500 person event with our current resources to turn it into a 750 person event we're going to have to triple our costs overnight yeah 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 and not just the co- it's not just the dollars and cents of it then it's the responsibility aspect of me making sure this person's doing that and that person's well, doing this. And it, and it probably would take a couple of races off the calendar. Yeah. To put on a larger to, to, event. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the the more time you spend on one, oh, the, no, the more time a, it takes no, away from other. Yeah, so yeah, should, you'd lose two or three races a year. I would yeah. know. It would, it would, that would be the full-time job. It's yeah. just that one event. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd like to, I think, I think we've run long enough, but, Pl- uh, but plenty long, but plenty I'd like long. to put a bookmark in this with the, expectation that we're going to come back and barrage you with more questions how how, how about this because when when you sent the text last night of about doing the ama it's like mm-hmm. well a you solicited emails from people yeah on our episode that just went out yesterday that's true but caleb and i had our own questions we no, wanted i understand to, and, i understand I, I think a lot of this is clarifies what would have been redundant questions that people would have mailed in emailed in possibly possibly they. Every other episode or so, if one of those emails filter in, hey, we'll bring it up and here, here's yeah. the peek behind the curtain for this. Yeah. I really don't want to devote another episode to this, to be honest with you, because I... Kevin I, doesn't like being in the spotlight. I do not. Okay. Well, I think, but people are going to appreciate this. Yeah. They, they, you put in a lot of work, and I think it's it's right for people to know yeah. um, what it, it takes I, to do this. I, I don't... We're here to give you your flowers, Kevin. I well, thank you. I'm going to be very selfish here. This is not work for me. I love this. Uh, I mean, but it's still work. Okay. But yeah. but it's not work work. It's yeah. I mean, the, the old the the old axiom: do what you love and never work another day in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It took me 50 years to find it. Yeah. Um, You're 50. You don't look a day over 49. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I think I started. It's the look- same thing. Like me in the kitchen. Yeah. It's not work. It's doing something I love, and it's it's invigorating, it's gratifying, it's it's almost selfish, you know, because I enjoy it so much. I uh, well, I feel selfish a lot of the time. Yeah. doing this, but I mean, you know, you I know, hear people talking about imposter syndrome. I, it, I I don't. I think most people that are concerned about imposter syndrome, I think I think they're actually it's selfishness guilt. Yeah. More than anything. Because yeah, I get the same way, like, after, and I'm sure you get the same way, like, after an event where people are just blowing endless smoke up your ass, and you're like, you don't know how to deal with that, because you're like, I'm just doing what I think we should do. 
you know, and like after at the end of my dinners, I have people just, you know, bl- glowing me up. And I'm like, I- I'm like, thank you. But, you know, I'm just this is what I want to do, you know. So it's I think it's pretty similar in that aspect. Like you said, there's a lot of similarities in what we do. And uh, next week, we will have the Chef Brad Fam dinner AMA. Oh, <laughs> I think we've already done that. <laughs> we haven't we, we haven't talked fam enough in quite a while. Speaking of which, uh, our listeners want to know what happened to our other podcast. <sighs> Foodless. <laughs> it's not foodless. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that offline. Okay. We'll was, talk about that. I keep meaning to ask you. Just um, time constraints. Yeah. Is the be- is the best way to is the best way to put it. Yeah, you were wearing a new hat this year too. What are you referring to? Didn't you get aren't you in in the Dorba chain again? Oh. Yes. Yeah. You're gonna Ooh. bring back the, the red jumpsuit crew? Uh probably not not the same cast but the same mentality I'm not sure yet not yeah. sure yet but yeah uh dorba has been uh, kind enough to allow me to play in their sandbox and help them put on some mountain bike races this year don't know exactly what that looks like yet mm-hmm. we're shooting for our first event march 9th at north shore that's unofficial we don't probably have all- be raining <laughs> Weather is always a factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have all the pieces put together on that just yet, so I, I don't want to con- that to be considered an official announcement. Sure. And we don't have any specific plan yet. It's along the lines of what we've been talking about. We uh, the the current Dorva board is of the same mentality. Let's you know, let's do what we can to encourage people to ride their bikes. Yeah. And that's what we're looking to do. I love it. Ride your bike. Go ride your bike. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs>